Jeff here. Thanks for listening. Go to playvolutionhq.com slash ccbag or click the link in the show notes for the show's archives, ways to connect, ways to support the show, information about happy hour, and more. Upstairs studio in the snuggery along the rainy and hailey Gulf of Mexico. With me, we got Stephanie. How you doing, Stephanie? I'm doing very well, Jeff. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I've been working on being resilient, so I'm I'm glad we're talking. Um, uh, look, I got we got a couple things. We got we're going to talk about resilience and movement um, in a minute, but we got to we got to get to a couple things before that. Uh, first, listeners, if you want to join me for Child Care Bar and Grill Happy Hour, it's the fourth Tuesday of the month, 7.30 p.m. Central Time. You got to register. It's just a quick Zoom registration at playvolutionhq.com slash ccbag, or there's a link in your show notes. Um, also, you can join us at myplayhaven.com. If you got questions, want to leave a message for the show, um, want to talk about stuff we talk about on the show, any of that kind of stuff. Um, now, Stephanie, I don't know if you heard this episode or not yet, but uh, a little bit ago, I, I outed myself as kind of a kind of a bad boy. I uh, I admitted to using my my green lime juicer for juicing lemons, which are I yellow. I hear that. I was driving. And I was shocked. Yeah, I know. I'm I'm kind of you know I don't want to brag, <laughs> but I'm kind of the bad boy of early learning. Um, but since then, there's been a there's been a a big a big change up here here at the snuggery. My my w- lovely wife brought me home a new juicer, um, a little bit a uh, little bit more beefy, a little bit more robust than the one I was using. has a has a longer handle, so you get more leverage when you're you're juicing <laughs> your your uh, your lime or lemon. And on the label, it was labeled as a citrus juicer. Um, ah. So. Look, I can go crazy with this thing. I'm thinking, I'm planning, I'm planning on making uh, some uh, some mimosas with fresh squeezed orange juice coming up pretty soon. Um, maybe even Setsumas instead of oranges. Um, we're going to, it's going to get, the shit is going to get crazy here at the Snuggery um, now that I've got my new, my new citrus juicer. So um, uh, I have a question. Sure. So my citrus juicer, which is, maybe you called a lemon juicer is a thing that I um you you put the the half of a fruit in it and you squeeze half it. a citrus half a citrus whatever I don't remember I think I didn't come with a label so I've just used it for everything too and you smash it down it's mm-hmm. mechanical there's nothing electric or anything is that what yep. yours is like yep 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 how are you gonna fit oranges in there then <laughs> um well it's big enough to get an orange half in there huh. It's also compared to the other one. It's also got a better a better filtering juice filtering system. So I, I the old one I was getting 
Look, I was getting a, a, a lemon seed in my uh, in my in my beverage for once in a while, and you know, if I'm drinking just just plain old lemonade, that's that's fine. But if I'm making it a Jeff's hard lemonade, putting a little bit of rum in there, I could choke after five or six of those. I could choke on a lemon seed. So uh, this this new one's going to be a lot safer. But yeah, it is big enough. You know, I couldn't. You look, I couldn't juice a grapefruit um, in yeah. this. But I can't imagine that I would ever allow a grapefruit into into the snuggery because, uh, as far as I'm concerned, grape grapefruit are evil. They're they're like uh, they're like the spawn of the devil, as far as I'm concerned. I don't know why anybody would want to consume a grapefruit. You're making a face oh. at me like you like grapefruit. I love grapefruits. I oh, I, I eat them like oranges. I peel them and and, and eat them. They're not, they're, I I I I. I tend to be sour <laughs> or somebody said no you're not you don't like sour you like tart that's the right word well it's I, tart sour that's my mm. taste of, of course i i i made my 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 hate for grapefruit comes from um i i assume when i was five or six um and i haven't revisited the subject so i suppose i could i could revisit grapefruit and i might have a different opinion but look i've changed a lot of things in the last couple of years i i can't I can't go around changing everything. Some of my some of my biases and hates have to uh, have to hold true hold true. But so look, listeners, if you're thinking, hey, that Jeff's a real bad boy using the uh, the the lime juicer to juice lemons. Now it's a citrus juicer, so I got to figure out a different way to be bad. Um, sure, you won't have any trouble. <laughs> yeah, suggestions. Head over to myplayhaven.com and give me suggestions of uh, of bad things I could try out. Um, now, Stephanie, I know you've got an. I've seen your answer to this already. My new my new uh, hypothetical question. Uh, Sham was the first one I asked the other day. Um, but listeners haven't heard that. Oh, I mean, all the cool listeners that are hanging out at my play Haven have seen it, um, by now undoubtedly, but, uh, for, for those, that, for those of you that are just listeners and not active interactors, um, Stephanie, would you rather be a centeride or a merfolk? Merfolk a hundred percent. Now I know you say that, but on the post I did at Playhaven, um, I didn't clarify this. This is this is in the modern world, like your life as it is right now. Um, so this isn't in some fantasy world. I, um, I go down to my beach in Lake Erie every day that it's not raining or frozen, and I am a mer person and i swim for as long as i can swim till i get all wrinkly and i could swim if i really if i was a real mermaid i could swim um to to stores i could swim all up and down i could go to buffalo if i wanted to i could go to erie <laughs> lots, lots i could have people throw me fish it would be fine so but okay so what about are, how are you getting how are you getting back home um are you swim. just uh, swim Oh, oh, you mean like from the lake to my house? Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, well, I guess I'd have, I'd have a centaur who would be hooked up down to a paddleboard and could drag me up. How's that? Okay, okay. Um, so I didn't know if you, uh, yeah, I, I mean, maybe you're, maybe you get legs. Maybe when you come to shore, you get. I don't know, merfolk. Um, so maybe you do have that transformative power for the, uh, the short walk back to the, back to the so. house or something. So. Um, 
I think I might, I, 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 I haven't figured out what I would do yet. I think I might do a combination, um, some sort of a, uh, a, a Murtor where I'd be the back end, I'd be the back end, um, uh, horse. And then just the, like the centaur where the human part is, you know, mm-hmm. that'd be like a, a fish. It'd be the, uh, the, the front, the front flippers, the front fins and the gills and the head of a fish. Um, I thought might be might be fun. There, that sounds that, that right. sounds great too. Just just I, to but, yeah, I'm I'm just to be I'm, a just to be a little bit weird. Um, <laughs> but I, I'm not. I haven't locked myself into that yet. I'm sure there could be, there should be because because I could go I could go I could go mer ascend I I could go the other way. But then he ended up just being a seahorse. Um, and that. <laughs> I mean that wouldn't be good. Um, no, it's yeah, not original either. Yeah, it's, yeah. Um, on the on 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 the Playhaven site, you said you would be a Murkrone. Now, what's right. the what's 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 uh? Well, because what's I'm going old. on there because I'm oh, old. You're <laughs> old. <laughs> you know, I, I'm all about you know crones are like the wise old women um, of folklore, and I'm into folklore, and I'm into mermaids, and I'm clearly not a mermaid, um, and so I'm a mer crone. But I, I really do identify as mer. I think it's it's a it's a species. It's, it's we don't have to you know we don't say I'm a human. We say I'm human. We don't say I'm a human maid or a human. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, just just yeah. identify as mer. Um, we're we're getting a a new tattoo here at the snuggery soon. Um, look, no no tattoos on me because um, who would want to mess up this uh, this beautiful temple um, with uh, with graffiti? I I just couldn't do it. But but Tasha's got a got a got a tattoo thing, and she's going to get another a new shoulder piece that apparently is going to be a a a mermaid. So she's been emailing with her her new tattoo person, and we're going next week. I guess we're going to go in, and they're gonna they're gonna try to they do the they they figure out the design, and then a couple of weeks after that, we go back, and she gets she gets inked. So it's going to be real exciting time here at the uh, the snuggery with her whining and bitching about her her sore tattoo while it's healing for six months or however the fuck long it takes maybe they could they could make her transformative too so instead of changing colors or something when you put something on it it could get legs and then then yeah i i mean i just i i just hope that they they arrange it some way so if she like flips flexes her um her tricep it dances or or something yeah yeah i i was trying to trying to get her to go with a design that had like a like a mermaid with an eye patch or (laughs) or or laser beam shooting out of her eyes or a machine gun mounted on her back or or something cool but but uh apparently that's not what it's gonna it's not what it's gonna be um murray well, you know, we've wasted a good 10 minutes now. So I will start talking about our topic. We're talking about resilience and movement. Um, where do you want to jump in? Well, I mean, I think that uh, I was thinking about a lot about this. I have been thinking a lot about this, that when I started teaching kids, working with kids, we moved all the time. I mean, there was no not moving in our day. Um, mm-hmm. We spent a great deal of time outside where the kids just, we had huge playground, huge forest, actually, that the kids were in uh, and inside. 
they were constantly moving our easels they were standing up at the uh, sensory table they were standing up um, when we did group times and we had all the kids together in the center with about 40 kids um, I mean we moved during that we did nobody sat and like did calendar or weather or any of that we did creative movement we did, told stories with movement um it was move 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 and I don't think it's a coincidence that with the, the as resilience has gone down and as our mental health challenges have gone up, um, movement has been the one thing that is I see less and less frequently in a lot of childcare and and certainly early early um, elementary school settings. Um, I mean, I don't know what it's like in your area, but I know in a lot of uh, states they they don't have recess anymore. Or, yeah, uh, I mean, there are school districts that that over over the last couple of decades have have built schools without playgrounds, um, and uh, I mean that's that's kind of fucked up. Uh, human children have never been more sedentary than than they are today. Uh, we did an episode not too long ago. Who was it? Me and uh, and uh, and uh, and uh, we'll say Nicole, I think, um, talked about frailty. And you know, kids are there's there are a lot of kids out there that are just physically frail. Their their bodies are weak. They have no grip strength. They have no core strength. Um, and I, I would like to think it's it's accidental, but but because of the way we're setting up programs, it it really seems like we're intentionally building these these physically incapable, frail people. And that that sounds I mean, that's not that's not a way to have a good, strong society, is it? No. And, and I think I mean, I agree with you a thousand percent about the whole physical thing. But I guess my perspective is that it is also breeding a whole generation generations at this point of kids who are not who are frail emotionally as well and that's where the absolutely comes in and that's I you know when I think about what what kids learn socially and emotionally um and uh, as far as resilience goes from movement it's it's kind of everything I mean, if we can't say that we we have a, a great, I, I just keep fixating on, I keep running across and uh, all of these programs that teach social and emotional skills. And a lot of the stuff is like, well, you know what, if, if you let them climb up the slide, you would tick off all these boxes that people, programs are spending all this money purchasing these social and emotional uh, learning programs, when really what we need to look at is what does build resilience and movement in all ways, both free movement where kids have complete control over it, that builds initiative, that builds, I mean, relationships, every every kind of movement that I can think of really hits all of the protective factors for resilience all the time. And so, plus it's fun. Yeah, moving is fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and it, it's fun, I guess, until it's not. And I got, I got a story about that in a moment. But let's go back to those, those, those resilience curriculums. Um, since those have been all the rage, um, and and look, maybe this is just me being the early learning bad boy, but uh, those things are complete bullshit. Um, since they have been all the rage, we've been putting out, we've been we've been sending little humans off into the world who are who are are fucked up. Um, so not only are programs 
program spending all this money on these products, these products apparently don't really work. You know, when I when I was doing my dissertation research and it was, a, you know, it was not that long ago, but I mean, it was like probably this research was now eight or nine years old. Um, I did massive study of all of these these programs. Um, and I'm sure some of them have changed by now. And and they they didn't do they didn't work. And yet they're and it's in the big names, which I'm not going to name any of them, but they were they were listed. I was familiar with all of them. They are still all in production. They are still all being used and purchased. And um, they massive study in Head Start. They they were not found to be effective at any kind of uh, skill development, anything that they measured for resilience. And so, <laughs> um, but yeah, a, a Head it, Start study said that. Yeah, it was. I mean, this is a government study. This was like major, massive, big, like thousands of kids, big, big time. I mean, it was like I had, you know, I was getting my doctorate. They, <laughs> I couldn't yeah. just like pull stuff off of a podcast or. Anything. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, and, but but see, I think I think a lot of I, I think a lot of that research, like the the research they do about accreditation and stuff, a lot of that they 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 don't publish the stuff that disagrees with the result they want. And so the fact that Head Start would publish something like that, um, well, Head Start for, didn't. It was the government. I mean, okay. the, it was okay. Department of Education. It was you know, I mean, it was it's public money that is funding yeah. all those things. And so, yeah, I mean, I didn't find it in 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 a newspaper or yeah. or. Yeah. In, uh, early childhood journal. Yeah, um, look, I would burn I, down I the Department of website. Education too. I think that's probably done a lot to uh, to cause a lot of the problems we're dealing with. But that's a that's another yeah, episode. That's, uh, yeah. So, but, but bottom line was this research was was pretty compelling, and a lot of uh -huh. it had to do with that. Um, a lot of these programs were required a tremendous amount of training. That's kind of how I got into thinking yeah. about ways of looking at resilience because if child care centers don't have the money to buy these programs to train everybody to get the mm -hmm. fidelity that you would maybe need maybe in a you know like a great ideal situation maybe they work perfectly with teachers who understand exactly what they're doing with this program and blah 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 but why when what we're really missing out on is the things that are that work for children because they've always worked for children and movement is, is one of these big ones that I really feel has decreased more dramatically than, than almost anything else that we, yeah. we've done with kids. Yeah. So what, what worked for me personally, building resilience is, uh, and, and in terms of movement was, uh, you know, back in the day, I, I loved to skateboard and I wasn't really good at it. Um, and, and mostly, you know, now kids are doing all these flips and they're, they're riding their half pipes and, and all this kind of stuff. We would just ride our skateboards down hills. And the goal was to, to go as fast as you could without falling, without falling off. And, um, of, of course, because we were, we were kids and still learning how to manage our bodies. There was a lot of falling off. And I remember one time I wiped out riding around, around shirtless and I'm, I'm a skinny little guy and I had scrapes all up one of my side. You could see each one of my ribs because there was a, there was a scab on it because they dragged across the concrete or asphalt that I wiped out on. 
And I, it was probably uh, half a mile away from home that it happened. And I, I'm, I'm at the bottom of this hill and, and my, my forehead is bloody and my side is bloody, bloody and my leg is bloody and my arm is bloody. And, and all of those bloody spots are also full of, full of grit and gravel. And, um, and I wasn't dead. And <laughs> limped home with my buddies and got everything cleaned up and and felt like a puss for a while because I wiped out and it was embarrassing. And then a few days later, the the scabs start forming and they get they get tight and they get itchy and it was really uncomfortable. But then everything healed up and I'm back on the skateboard and and go master the hill I wiped out on. And um uh, that led to the resilience that uh, that five minutes before Stephanie and I logged on, I was dealing with uh, with a thing, and I, I I had to be resilient about it because it was really pissing me off. And uh, and it all goes back to my skateboard accidents. I was able to weather the storm. Yeah. So so let me. Can I break that one down for you? Sure. Can we take that example, and let's look at those protective factors because the more. I talk about resilience the more I think about it, the more I really keep thinking we need to, it, it's so, it, if it hits all these protective factors, it helps us to understand why that made you so resilient. All right, first one, relationships. Number one, you're outside, you're doing stuff. Who were you doing it with? Of course, your friends. So there's that that peer relationship that's building, building, building. After you wiped out, we got the relationship. I'm assuming that some a parent, a caregiver, some some some, some competent adult, hopefully, or or a competent friend, whoever it was, patched you up. Maybe it was a doctor. I mean, again, so that's a great example of okay. So the relationships were part of that resilience building initiative. You were going to figure out how to get to the bottom of that hill, no matter how you were going to do it. You knew you yeah. were going to like talk about agency and self-efficacy. Like, of course I can do it. You know, it doesn't matter that I've never done this before. I, I'm going to try to do it. I can figure it out. I, I will, I will do it until I get it. And, and that, that agency was very, very strong. Then you wipe out and you got some problem solving to do. <laughs> to there yeah. too. You, I mean, yeah. while you're going down, you're you're figuring out how to move your body, which is problem solving, um, as well as big time self regulation. But you're also down at the bottom of the hill, and you are covered with blood, and you've got problem solving that you got to figure out. Okay, now now what am I going to do? Am I going to get in trouble for this? Am I going to die? Um, can I walk? Uh, your friends are helping you. They're you're like, okay. Can you get up? You know, like how are you going to stop the bleeding so you don't make this red streak up the hill because then we'll yeah, it, even more during during the process of falling there's that there's this whole how do i fall without doing mm. the most damage kind of thing yeah um so uh you know falling without breaking your wrist the 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 move a lot of people make is they put their their hands down to brace themselves and they snap their wrists um so choosing so, not to do that as part yeah. of the process. And that, I mean, you're, it's happening really quickly, sure. but 
part of your brain that is helping you figure that out is your executive functions. Your prefrontal cortex is still online enough to, to like retrieve that information of like, don't put your hands out because if you do, you're going to snap your wrists and whatever you've learned from, however, from, you know, <laughs> from watching kids, my, from watching my friends fall watching your friends like damage their bodies irreparably. However, you've got all that stuff. So you're pulling in that working memory quickly and, and, and it's, it's remaining active, even though you're having this stressful situation, you're, you're retrieving that right away. Just going back again for the second time is you talk about inhibitory control, which is part of that executive function. There's probably every single part of your brain saying, don't do this this time. You really might die. Like you got off lucky, but do you remember how much it hurt? I mean, you're, you're like th thinking all that and you're like, no, I'm going to push that fear aside and I'm going to do what I really know I can do because I almost got it that last time. If I hadn't just like moved one shoulder in one direction or if it hadn't been for a stupid rock that somebody like dropped on purpose on the road in front of me, I would have been fine. And so you're you're activating that executive function, that inhibitory um, um, and control part of it. Cognitive flexibility, anybody who, which is part, another executive function, anybody who's trying, and I, I'm really clumsy, and so I've never tried skateboarding, but, um, and, and it's probably, not, probably a good idea start now, not even thinking about it off my bucket list, but you're thinking of uh, cognitive flexibility is thinking of all the different ways that you can get on that that board and how you're going to move and which direction you're going to go and you know are you going to are you going to lean a little bit to the left a little bit to the right you're going to try to go straight down you're going to try to like do some ziggy zaggy things i mean you're you're processing all of that often in the moment and that's a way that you're using that cognitive flexibility of of your executive functions self regulation i mean obviously you are self regulating your body which is uh, people, when we think about self-regulation, <laughs> it's so often like, you know, can they sit still during circle time while I bore them to death and not move? Well, that's not what self-regulation is. It's being able to, to understand where your body is in space enough. It has ties into your sensory integration and into your vestibular system and all of those. And being able to, to have enough wherewithal to be thinking about where all your parts of your body are in space and how you're going to move them and, and keeping them together as you go down that hill in all of these changing situations. So that piece of self-regulation, that physical regulation is going on in spades in that, that situation. Well, and, and I remember a piece of it being that, uh, that as I'm crashing, I'm thinking, okay, I can't cry in front of the guys. Yeah. <laughs> I was just going to say, I bet, because we've had a crying discussion. Yeah. And you said you a crier. <laughs> Yeah. And, and I mean, and as, as a, a as a, as an 11 year old dude hanging yeah. around with 11 to 14 year old dudes, um, that's just not at least back in the early, late 70s, early 80s, um, wasn't the way you rolled. And I'm not I'm not saying that's right. I'm just saying that's the way it was. And sure. that's the way it probably still is for a lot of young yeah. humans. Uh, absolutely. And I think, you know, in, even if, I mean, I know as a, as a girl, it would have been much more acceptable for me to cry, but I, there are plenty of times when I have gotten physically hurt that my instinct is like, don't cry 
as a female, the, my thought process is like, I'm not going to cry. It hurts so badly. But if I show everybody how badly it hurts, people are going to get all like mushy and then I'm going to cry. So I'm just going to like be hang tough and not cry and sure. like limp, <laughs> limp yeah. away um, and and wait until I can be in a space where I feel safe that, that I can cry. Or maybe I don't need to cry. Maybe, you know, like, you know, I'm not dead. That's good. Um, and, yeah, and you, you, I, I think I, I probably got like, uh, got like that one tear and I'm like, no, I just got something in my eye guys. <laughs> um, and, and then I was, I was back at it. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, all yeah. of those things, plus, plus even you get into the, 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 um, protective factor. I don't often talk about, and I think I need to do it more, but, um, there are lots of reasons I haven't much is, um, cultural affirmation. So it's more than just you're out there with your friends and you're doing this thing because it's what 11 to 14 year old kids in your neighborhood did. It's it's that you're part of like the skateboarding culture. You're part of like being, you know, like if you were 11 and they were 11 to 14, you were being a big kid and all of these these cultural groups that are your part that is affirming in that activity you're doing it all. So no wonder you got so darn resilient, you know, like yeah. you, you hit all those protective factors um, just in that one example that you just, you know, of movement. And I think that it's, a, you know, like how, I mean, how many kids now do that stuff? If, if it wouldn't have been for that, you would have got an email right before we started saying, saying, Stephanie, I can't record. I'm having a, I'm having a moment. Uh, <laughs> it hadn't been for that accident 40 some years ago. Um, so I, I guess, I mean, I guess the takeaway is we need to push little children down hills on skateboards. Well, um, <laughs> that's well, no. <laughs> okay. Okay. I mean, I actually saw a, a, a post on on Facebook that, uh, from a, a former student of mine who's a wonderful uh, woman and teacher and early educator. And she said, you know, it's fine to say that we can talk as we want to about resilience and grit, but it doesn't mean we want to put kids in situations where they have to develop it. You know, we don't have to push them in down a hill or into horrible situations just so they'll develop it. But you, that for you, that at 11, that was what you wanted to do you're that for many many reasons and i think that i think of many um things if take it down to preschool or to early childhood i mean you and i, I think if i talked about it one of our pet peeves is like not going up the slide like mm -hmm. forbidding kids to to go up the slide forbidding kids to um swing um you know how you know without um uh, a belt on or something. I don't know if they do that. In, but um, yeah, I mean, there, there are a lot of the um, uh, <laughs> merry-go-rounds. <laughs> I like to get dizzy. I didn't like to go down hills really fast on skateboards, but I love those. Uh, those playground merry-go-rounds. Merry Absolutely. All of the, if you think about all of those pieces of, of playground equipment, even if you just think of the, the equipment that um, we have taken away so that children will be safer um, we've taken away opportunities for them to develop that movement resilience in that way. But we also um, just running, right? <laughs> you know, if you're, if you're outside playing with your friends and you're running and you're climbing and you're doing like what in my mind is the kids stuff that all mm -hmm. kids always have done, um, 
and and yet you can't do that now because you might fall and you might scrape yourself and you might get a splinter and you might you know this and that and the other thing and uh, we're we're shrinking the opportunities for any kind of risk that children are taking um that and i'm not talking about the you know i know you're not going to send a three-year-old down the Maybe some three-year-olds could go down a hill on a skateboard. Yeah, I'm sure. yeah. Well, I, I mentioned recording with uh, with Sam recently that there it apparently on on my stretch of beach it is it is take your toddler to the beach for the first time season. I've seen a lot of a lot of toddlers, and by, when I say a lot, uh, five or six, and in, in the last week or ten days that that are that are apparently these children's first experience with with being at the at the ocean. And um, there's also been some some resilience building I've noticed because these little humans are are, are very excited about the the sound of the shore and all of that water, and they get distracted by all the visual input, and they kind of haven't mastered navigating the unevenness and. Um, unsure surface of sand yet and so maybe they hit a soft spot or maybe they hit a little bump while they're while they're busy looking at the water and they trip and they fall down and they end up with this this sensory experience that is this stuff that is all stuck to them not only their body parts but their their face as well maybe and maybe a little bit gets into their mouth and they're bleh, bleh, licking it out and and even those physical activities for that that under two-year-old is is a chance to to build that resilience that we've been talking about. Absolutely. And I, you know, again, you think, and how do, how do we as adults respond to that very natural thing of falling, doing a face plant in the sand because you're not used to it because your body, you know, you haven't developed the self regulation yet in, in how to move your body, where your body is in space to, to deal with uneven surfaces or, and sand is, sand's funny, sand's tough. <laughs> My yeah. is rocks. So I have like this additional, like, Whoa. Oh, sure. <laughs> um, but I, you know, I think that, that so often caregivers will be um, like, Oh my God, you know, are you all right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, uh, what does that tell a child? Like, no, I'm not all right. If if my my caregiver is freaking out like this, I must be um, close to death. And yeah. that, will, you know, like, this is a really bad thing. I will never do this again. Um, but if we're like, wow, you really, your face planted in the sand. Um, and my children actually have recently told me I said things like that to them that at the time they thought maybe I wasn't being as nice as the other mothers, but now they recognize that I grew up to be all about resilience and, and they're pretty resilient and that's why. But I mean, I think that's the, that's the, the key is as caregivers, whether your parents or, or teachers or whoever you are, how we respond and how are we looking at that child who is ta has taken a risk, uh, you know, whether they wanted to or not, and um, are encountering this stressful situation because it's stressful to be covered with sand and suddenly be on your face. Yeah. Um, and and how, how are we going to help them to pay attention to, wow, you know, you, you walked all the way down there without falling that, you know, your agency, your, you know, like, what are we going to do to get the problem solving going? What are we going to do to get all the sand off of you? You know, like, um, can, can you 
wipe it off your hands first, because then you'll be able to wipe it off your face and like help them coach them through the problem solving the first time that happens as well. I mean, obviously the relationships, you know, oh, oh, wow, that really surprised you, didn't it? Does any place hurt a, a special a lot, you know, do you need a, do you need a boo-boo bear? Do you need a kiss? You know, what do you need? But staying, staying that calm, that's where that co-regulation that's yeah. now the newest buzzwords everywhere. Um, when every, every, I went down a co-regulation rabbit hole this week and, and many of the definitions I'm like, I'm not sure that that's what I would call it, but anyway, <laughs> that's okay. But that's where co-regulation, I mean, that's what it is, is saying, you know, helping a child self-regulate by being present with them in how they're feeling, but also helping them through recognizing all of the positives that came out of a, an experience that, that may have hurt a little bit, you know, I mean, legs not, my kids were always like, mm -hmm. we're throwing up or bleeding, <laughs> Yeah, or I mean, you were out. The, we were out the door. You were not ever very sympathetic, which was actually how my mother treated me. And so I think, yeah, that, I mean, if you're not projectile vomiting and there's not a bone sticking out, come on, let's get on with our day. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, so if we want to help build resilience with movement, the first thing we need to do is provide more opportunities for movement, but then also provide those opportunities in environments that offer the the offer a developmentally appropriate level of risk taking. Yes. I think, I mean, that tons of research is that that's one of the challenges that we're facing as a society is that we're not allowing kids to take safe risks and therefore they don't build that resilience. You know, if you don't ever fall off a bike, you're never going to realize that you're going to be okay and brush yourself off and move on to the next thing. And I think that like all of the examples that we've been talking about are kind of what I would call like the, the free movement, the you know, risky movement, all those kinds of things. And I think those are, are critically important. Uh, but I also think as, as, as early educators, we can think of other ways of incorporating movement um, into our, whatever we're doing with children inside as well. And I think that's the piece that is also has diminished completely, um, sure. you know, dancing in, you know, doing group games, doing, um, you know, creative movement, telling a story and having the kids like, you know, be the little seeds that all get up because all of those, um, all of that awareness of where your body is in space and balancing and coordination and all of those things, you have to know where your body is if you're going to regulate it. And yeah. I think that that's, you know, we've been talking kind of, I mean, a lot about the emotional self-regulation that comes from, from risk taking and, and being okay about it. But I think that the, the, when we really get down to so many kids have sensory integration challenges and all of those things that compound self-regulation and make it more difficult for kids, which is part of resilience. You know, if you can't well, regulate well, yeah. To, well, I mean, to drill down on that, 
Um, the interoceptive system, it's, it's our sensory system that, that, uh, that manages all those internal feelings that we're having. If you are able to differentiate the, the uncomfortableness you get around your belly button area, um, and tell the difference between the feeling that means I'm hungry, um, and the feeling that means I'm uncomfortable, meaning anxious, scared, or um, the feeling that means I need to poop. Um, if you can differentiate between those, you're going to be a much more resilient person out and about in the mm -hmm. world. If that system isn't fully integrated, if, if you just get that uncomfortable feeling in your in your belly area, um, and you don't know what it means because you haven't figured out what those different signals mean, how you haven't figured out how to differentiate between them, you're, you're going to be a, a less resilient person out and about in the world, aren't you? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think we're just, you know, the, the more time kids spend sitting and passively taking information in or, or screens, um, yeah. the less time they have to explore that. The brain is geared for that during those first five years. I mean, that really the first three years is all of that, the um, sensory motor stuff is like kicking into higher gear. That's what they're, that's what the brain's ready to do. And we are depriving children of the opportunity to do that. And so it it has lots of trickle-down effects besides just their physical health and um, yeah. you know, physical strength. It, it I really believe that it, all of that ties into to to resilience um very a, strongly. A, a child who is physically strong and has a well-integrated sensory system is more resilient physically, socially, and emotionally than a child who doesn't have those things. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and so our job is to to create environments that allow them to to build those things, whether they're through the uh, activities they're selecting or activities that we're <laughs> we're supporting them in. Um, right. Before we wrap up, I want to just in, in allowing that risk taking, uh, I know people get confused about risk and danger and hazards and those things. So I want to go through my definitions really quickly. So um, danger is something that could cause harm. Uh, so everything is potentially dangerous. Um, I, I look, I could slip and bump my head on the microphone in front of me and get a concussion and, and never make it to another podcast later, um, in, in my life. Um, but it's unlikely that's going to happen. It could happen. Um, you, you give a kid a crayon, they could shove it up their nose and puncture their brain, I guess. Um, anything could be dangerous. Um, too much. I mean, oxygen is great in, in a room, but if you're put in an oxygen tank and all you get is pure oxygen for long enough, you, you die. Um, so everything can be dangerous. Um, a hazard is a potential danger that that you have a hard time seeing um, or noticing in your environment. And so one of the big jobs of early learning people is to to scan the environment for those those hazards that children are unlikely to come across that could cause real harm. This is this is broken glass on the playground. This is cat poop in the sandbox. This is this is all those things that they they might not notice just because they're they have these these brains that aren't fully wired and uh, and they say they don't, they don't notice things. So our job is to help mitigate the hazards. A risk is a choice. A risk is something that we can choose to do or not, knowing that there's some danger involved.
that there's there there is a potential hazard there. So climbing up the slide is a choice. Um, climbing the apple tree is a choice. Spinning spinning on the the merry go merry go round and trying to stand up while the merry go round is going around, or or leaping off the merry go round. All those kind of things are choices. And so our job becomes creating environments where where there are risks that children of the age you're working with can probably manage without too much injury, um, but that we've worked to mitigate the big hazards. Mm -hmm. um, we don't have pit vipers at the bottom of the plague of, of the slide, for example. That would be that would be maybe a little bit too much risk. And and well, it might build resilience to <laughs> to be bitten by a poisonous snake when you're three. Um, there are probably safer ways to do it. Yeah, um, probably. <laughs> I think so. I mean, not that I wouldn't want to be a kid who I, not that I wouldn't want to be an adult who who had the story to tell about, hey, I get I get bit by a cobra when I was three. Um, went down the slide, uh, there at the bottom of the slide, get bit by a cobra. Um, that'd be a great story if you live through it. Um, but probably not something we should actively try to create. Um, right. if a if a little human wants to wants to attempt riding a skateboard um in a safe environment, probably a good idea. Putting them on a public street without any safety gear as a preteen. Um, like I did, I'm not sure. I mean, I could have maybe had a little bit more adult supervision. Would I have, would I change anything, um, and not have, have had all of my accidents? Absolutely not. It was joyful and fun, even in the moment, even, even when I'm trying not to cry and covered in blood and grit, it was delightful, but probably not something we want to recreate in our early learning environments with four-year-olds. Right. Exactly. <laughs> That's where that whole developmentally appropriate thing. Yeah, comes. yeah, yeah. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> there are there are things that are appropriate for for two year olds, and there are things that are appropriate for four year olds. But the other thing is this 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 building resilience is is kind of cumulative, right? So when we start <laughs> with letting those those toddlers take some risks, um, it, it kind of builds some it it they 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 practice for taking the bigger risks and, um. It, it just gets a little bit easier over time. Absolutely. I mean, I think, I, I mean, everything takes practice. Resilience isn't a, like a one and done. I mean, it, it is every single thing experience that a ha child has, I think can help to inform whether resilience for positive or, or negative. And I think that's the thing to, to remember is that we're giving them the opportunity to, when, when you as a, as a three-year-old, um, want to climb up the slide or climb the small tree that you have there and and your caregiver says okay you know do you think you can do it yes yes I do I mean that that allows them to think you know what I can overcome challenges yeah and you know and if I don't if I fall off the tree and I get hurt I, I still did it and I I overcame that and I'm I'm gonna be okay. And I think that things are going to happen to all of us all the time. Sure. In in adult sure. life. And and this gives us the, you know, having lots and lots and lots of experiences, children to to make choices that I'm gonna take this little baby risk or do something that I think is a good idea, even if other people may not, 
gives us the opportunity to build that resilience so that when we come to the really big stuff um, or the little stuff, um, we're able to bounce back from it. Yeah, I think one thing programs could do in in addition to what we've talked about is is help parents get a little bit more comfortable with this and 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 maybe turning down the 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 worry flame that a lot of parents are walking around with um one thing i had success with was in in our intake process and parent handbook we made it really clear that bumps and bruises and scrapes and scratches were a normal part of childhood and those things were, were going to happen. Um, we were going to do everything we could to prevent big injuries, but to expect some of those small ones um, and that we would, we would deal with them. And, 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 but, but just being able to, because there, there are a lot of parents that are walking around that a, a scraped knee is the same as a broken bone. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and their worry level. And, and, and so a lot of programs get anxious about any little scratch or scrape a child gets because they're, they're worried they're going to get sued and they're worried about having to file incident reports and, and all of this stuff. And look, I've talked to programs about this for a long time. Um, programs don't get sued about that kind of stuff very often. And if they do, um, those lawsuits don't go very far. Um, is, is my personal experience. If you've got, if, and, and look there, you can go back into the archives of the show and hear stories about this, but if you've got experiences that are, that are something different, I'd like to hear about it. But um, if, if you've got thoughtful policies and qualified staff doing their jobs, um, if, if something ends up becoming a lawsuit, it ends up getting dealt with in the way you probably think it should. If you've got negligent staff that aren't doing their job, then you probably should get sued. Right. Um, but but we need to create those environments. And if we can help parents understand that that those scraps and scratches and scrapes help build resilience and why that's important um, in our in our onboarding when we're when they're bringing them into our program, when they're making them the, making them part of our program's culture, um, it really makes it easier to support this kind of kind of activity we've been talking about. 100% agree. And I think that resilience is, has become almost a, I mean, it's a word that's used a lot now, especially after the, since the pandemic, everybody's like resilience, this resilience, that, blah, 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 blah. And mm-hmm. I think it's time to um, leap on that and tie what we've been saying for decades to that new word, um, which I happen to believe is a, is a good word. It's the best word. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think that helping that that gives parents a, a link to something that they're familiar about in popular culture besides be a good parent and keep your child from ever having like a scrape on their knee. But sure. like, oh, wait a minute, it can build resilience. And I, I've heard about resilience and and maybe that's something that is is uh, in, uh, another reason to think that this is the best program that I could possibly put my child in. Yeah, and and I think there are, there are some parents out there. There are a lot of young parents, I think, that maybe don't feel very resilient themselves and would like to change that up for their kids and are, are probably going to be willing to embrace this when it's explained to them. Mm-hmm. I, I agree. And if, if you think of the, the very young parents now, 
they have been raised in that situation where they probably were not given opportunities to develop that resilience and take those risks themselves if they were in childcare and in schools. I mean, if they're if they're young, they've been yeah. a lot this this century, and that's been when the the bottom has been pulled out from, or the rug has been pulled out from from any kind of risky, um, challenging things that are going on in, especially in childcare and in early educa- education. So yeah, yeah. Uh, well, we'll wrap this up. I got I got a story about you know some more resilience I'm dealing with. Um, I'm li- I'm look listeners, I'm living this roller coaster life. Uh, Three and a half weeks ago, I ordered a large jar of olives online. I like myself a nice olive. Um, And uh, a day and a half later, I get the email that they have been shipped. And 24 hours after they got that, I get the email that says they're out for delivery. And then they were out out for delivery for like two and a half, three weeks and never got delivered. And so finally, I went through all the rigmarole of of saying, hey, where are my olives? Um, they apparently are lost. Are they lost? Could you reship my olives? And the, the AI said, yeah, we'll reship your olives. And I'm like, thank you, artificial intelligence uh, chatbot. And and then 24 hours later, I get the email that says the, the olives have been shipped. And then I get the one uh, shortly after that that says, hey, they're out for delivery. And then then I see the email when I came back from, uh, from from, from my walk uh, earlier that said, hey, your olives have been delivered. And I go to the other door and there is a, a wet box um, at the door and I open it up and there is a, a giant jar of broken olives. So um, so now when we get done here, I got I to gotta let them know that uh, uh, I, I need, I, I wanted olives without glass and and I'm going to have to process or do a refund or, or a return. I'm going to have to process a return. So I'm going to have to ship them back the broken jar of olives, I think. Um, but I'm I'm handling it. Cool. It's cool. It's cool. <laughs> it's cool. I have a backup. I have a backup jar of olives. Um, I'm glad. <laughs> look, if I need a martini, I can have a martini. Um, it'll be OK, listeners. Don't worry about me. I'll pull through. You have some strange stories about your mail service at your the snuggery. Um, I, it's a, hey, <laughs> and and don't I mean look, um, I look. Everybody wants to vote by vote vote by mail. Um, I I I just don't know how we can trust things to get where they're going with the delivery systems that we have. But hey, you do you people. Um, <laughs> any final thoughts, Stephanie? No, I, I I wish you well in all of your many opportunities all of, to all be of resilient. My many, all of all of my many all of your many resilience. That was punny. Hey, <laughs> listeners, this has been the Childcare Bio and Grill Podcast, the world's longest running, most prolific, and most resilient early learning podcast. Back soon. Bye bye. Thanks for listening. This has been an Explorations Early Learning Upstairs Studio production. Oh.